Let's, uh, let's draw near to God in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do indeed say that to you belongs all the glory for the work of salvation that you have done in the work in the, ha- in the hearts of your children. Lord, we know that but for your intervention, we would have stayed far from you. We would have wandered down that broad road to destruction and nothing would have stopped us. But thank you that you stepped in and you, you, you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place and we thank you that at the right time you worked in our hearts to move us to accept the gospel. You gave us faith, you gave us repentance and you brought us into your family, the church. And we thank you that you are keeping your children safe all the way through until we reach your everlasting kingdom. So we thank you, Father. And, and uh, we do pray this morning that you will um, help Julian as he seeks to explain your word to us and, and teach these truths to us. And we pray, Lord, that you'll also give us receptive hearts. Uh, for some, this might be a reminder. For others, it might be new territory. But we pray, Lord, that whatever our, our previous understanding or up to, our understanding up till now has been, we pray that you will, you will give us receptive hearts. And we pray that we will uh, be, be moved to, to worship you and to be thrilled at your loving kindness to us. And we pray that as a result of this time this morning, you will help us also to be more loving and gracious uh, towards others, to show to others the same sort of love that you've shown to us. So we thank you, Lord, and we commit this, this, uh, this time uh, to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Julian, thank you very much. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Um, you may wonder... Who am I? Where am I from? How, what am I doing here? Uh, well, I met Henry at the Carey Conference uh, last Christmas, and we got chatting over meal, and he then invited me here. So be warned, <laughs> be careful who you sit to and eat with. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's been a delight to get to know Henry and a delight to stay with him, and it's lovely to meet you and to share God's word together. If you have a Bible, please open it at Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from the beginning of the chapter, which is on page 1159 in the Pew Bibles. 1159. And I'm going to read down to verse 10. You can see from the screen, we're going to be thinking in these five talks that I'm going to be doing about the The word grace. So look out for that word as we have this reading. So Ephesians 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul is a Jew, and the Christians in Ephesus were Gentiles. Uh, They had been saved from witchcraft, many of them, and the occult. 
Uh, we're told in Acts that in Ephesus, God did extraordinary miracles, not just ordinary miracles. And people were so radically changed that they one day piled up all their books on magic and witchcraft and burnt them publicly. And the cost of those books was, was enormous. And people were staggered at the transformation of these people that Paul is writing to. So Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, Jews, all once lived in passions of our our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace... You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this faith, is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Well, there's Paul writing to Christians saying, do you realize, folks, where you used to be and where you are now? Isn't it amazing what God has done in your life to take you from where you were and to bring you to where you are? And Paul wants them to understand that. It's important for all of us to understand, if we're Christian, what an incredible thing God has done in our lives so that we Give God the glory and the praise that he's due. We just sung in our opening hymn, didn't we? To God be the glory. Uh, I don't know if someone were to ask you, how does a person become a Christian? What would you say? Well, maybe you'd say you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do the other. And maybe the person might think, well, if I do this, that and the other, then I'll become a Christian. And then I'll say, didn't I do well? I did this, that, and the other, and I achieved the goal. I crossed the line, and I became a Christian. I'll give myself a pat on the back. But Paul says, hang on. Actually, to become a Christian, uh, what you really need to realize is that God is working. God does a miracle, and it's, it's amazing what God does. And the key word to understand how a person becomes a Christian is grace. If you think about the world we live in, think about London today. Think about Poplar, where you are. Think about Rochdale, where I'm from. 
full of asylum seekers from all over the world, there are lots of religions, aren't there? And if you think about all the different religions in the world, all of them, excluding Christianity, say, if you want to please God, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do the other. Muslims are taught to, to fast during Ramadan, to go on pilgrimage to Mecca. Jews are taught to keep the Ten Commandments. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught to go knocking on doors or giving out Watchtower magazines. They're all taught you must do these things to earn your salvation. That's what religions of the world teach. But Christianity is different. Christianity says, no, you cannot earn your way to heaven by trying your best. God must work. God must rescue you. And the key thing to understand is this word grace. Salvation is by grace. That's the text. You can see it on the screen there, Ephesians 2, 5. And we're going to spend five sessions looking at grace. And I held my hand up like that, which is useful, because I've titled these five talks, The Five Fingers of God's Salvation. So we're going to look at each digit on the hand, if you like. And this hand is God's hand. And we're going to see that God grabs hold of people and rescues them with these five fingers of his salvation. So that's what we're going to look at. So, how is a person saved? Well, other religions say you have to follow the rules. And if you do it well enough, then you'll be saved. What do we mean by saved? Saved means when you're in a, a building that's on fire... A fireman comes and smashes the door down with his axe and grabs you and takes you out of the burning building, doesn't he? And saves your life. That's what we mean by salvation. Taking from a place of danger to a place of safety. The Bible says we're all in need of being saved. Or you can see the background to my slide. There's a sea. Imagine you're drowning in the middle of an ocean. You need a lifeguard, don't you? Someone in a helicopter, coast guard, to drop down a winch and to grab hold of you and to winch you out of the sea and save you. That's what we're talking about. So how is a person saved? The Bible says it is by grace that you are saved. So if you're a Christian here today, you've been saved. You're not going to hell. When you die, you're going to heaven. How did that happen? The Bible says it's by grace. What does that mean? That's what we're going to think about. Saved, we've mentioned that already, haven't we? The gospel, the good news that people can be saved from their sin. Sin is the big problem, remember? When Jesus, before he was born, the angel said to Joseph, you'll give this child a special name, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Because he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Sin separates us from God. Sin condemns us before a holy God and sends us to hell. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Well, salvation is by grace. That's what we're going to think about. And the five fingers of God's salvation are illustrated here on this slide. So Jonah 2, verse 9. I don't know if you're familiar with that verse. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, he was... Uh, running away from God. He didn't want to do as God said. God said, go and preach the gospel or preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't like them. He, he was a Jew. The, the Ninevites were horrible. They were Assyrians. He ran away. He wanted to go to Tarshish in Spain, the opposite direction. But God sent a storm. 
Jonah was thrown overboard, God sent a fish to swallow him. And for three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the fish saying, No, I won't go. I won't preach to them. I don't want to. I don't like them. Till eventually, God humbled him. And he said, Okay, I will go. I will go. Salvation, says Jonah in chapter 2, verse 9, is of the Lord. Only God could save me from this fish. And God commanded the fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. And he went and preached uh, to the people of Nineveh. So there, in this slide, you can see uh, these five headings to these five talks I'm going to talk about. Lost is the first one. That's the thumb. And then there's chosen, redeemed, called, and kept. And we're going to look at these five truths as taught in the Bible and see how they form this hand. God's hand in laying hold of us as sinners and rescuing us from our sin like the sea, like the Coast Guard, and saving us by grace. So that's where we're going. So the first talk I want to give you now is titled The Lostness of the Lost. How lost are we if we're not Christians? Maybe some of you here today are not Christian. Maybe you're thinking today, well, you know, I'm, I've got friends who are Christians, and I know people are Christians, and I'm thinking about Christianity, but I'm not sure. You know, I think, I think actually I'm okay as I am. Maybe some of you, I was talking to Ed earlier, he said he, was do, he does open airs. If you do open airs, and you meet people, and you say, would you like to come to church? Would you like to know Jesus as your saviour? How often do people say, no thank you, I'm all right. You've heard people say that? I've heard it many times. People think they're okay. Well, maybe they've got problems. Yeah, maybe they could do with a bit of help. But they're kind of, by and large, they're okay. Is that true? Is that what the Bible says? Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God's word says that humanity is lost. Now, I don't know if you've lost many things recently. How lost are we? My middle son, Matthew, uh, some time ago had one of these gaming devices called a DS. I don't know if you have those in your house. And he lost it. To him, it was a disaster. And we had to lift all the cushions off the sofas and pull the furniture out. We couldn't find his DS. Where was it? It must be in the house somewhere. But it was lost. Is that, is that what we're like? You know, we need a good search party. And then we'll find ourselves and we'll be okay. Or maybe you've, you've um, driven somewhere unfamiliar and you've got completely lost. You've no idea where you are. You haven't got your sat-nav and you haven't, your smartphone has died. You know, and you, you haven't got a map. Well, who uses maps anyway today? And you're lost. Maybe we're like that, are we? Well, what does the Bible say? Maybe some people are kidnapped. They're, they're locked in a room, aren't they? They can't get out. They're trapped. Well, the problem with all of those illustrations is that anyone in those situations may say, okay, I'm lost, but if I work hard, I can find that DS. If I, if I ask somebody, they'll give me directions, and I'll get out of here. Okay, maybe I can escape my kidnappers even. You know, if I'm really clever, and then I'll be found again. I'll, I'll, I'll escape in and of myself. We can think we're lost like that. Is that what the Bible says? Well, the Bible actually says no. 
That's not how the Bible uses the word lost. When the Bible uses the word lost, it means we are totally lost. Totally unable to find ourselves or to rescue ourselves. We're like the man. Can you see him in the background there? In his lifeboat. We're in the middle of the ocean and all we can see is water all around us. And we've run out of food. We've run out of water to drink. And we're going to die unless somebody rescues us. That's what the Bible says when it says we are lost. We are totally lost. I'm going to do three things now. I'm going to tell you why this is important. And then we're going to look at some verses in the Bible to see how the Bible teaches this truth. And then we're going to think about application of this truth to us. So those are the three things. So firstly, the importance of this truth. If we don't understand correctly how lost we are, we won't understand the gospel. We'll be like the child that comes to to church every Sunday brought by their parents. And they listen and they think, well, Christianity is okay. Mum and dad are Christians, you know. And, And maybe I'll become a Christian. But when I go to school, all my friends aren't Christians. And they seem okay. So maybe I don't need to be Christian. You know, maybe I can choose. Maybe it's, you know, it's like buying Nike trainers. Some people do. Some people don't. You know, they look quite nice. But you don't have to have them. You can do other things. Do I really need to become a Christian. If you don't understand your situation as as it really is, you won't understand the gospel. You won't understand your need. You'll think, no thank you, I'm okay. When someone offers you a lifeline, when the helicopter comes over and the winch is dropped, you'll sit in your life raft and you'll say, no thanks mate, I'm all right. Well, God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to grab hold of the lifeline when it's offered to you. So we need a right understanding of our situation, our condition as men and women in this fallen world. If we don't, we won't understand the gospel and we could be in danger of rejecting this precious gift. We all know, don't we, if we're sick, we go to a doctor. And the first thing the doctor has to do is say, well, what's wrong with you? And say, well, that's your job. You tell me. And he says, well, well, what are the symptoms? I've got a temperature, you know, I've got this rash or I've got this heartbeat or, and he, he examines the patient and he does tests, maybe takes some blood and looks at it under a microscope. And he says, I need to diagnose your illness correctly. If I don't diagnose it correctly, I'm not going to be able to prescribe the correct medicine. If you get the wrong medicine, it's not going to help you. And the same is true with us. If we don't understand our condition correctly, we're not going to get the right remedy that we all need. Same is true for mathematicians, isn't it? If you have a math problem and you don't understand the problem, you're not going to be able to work out the solution. And we too, we need to understand ourselves. What is our condition before God if we're going to respond The thumb is the first digit in the hand. It's the most important digit. I don't know if any of you are involved in engineering. My, my, my eldest son is a mechanical design engineer. So he, he's very interested in robotics. And engineers have, have designed lots of machines to pick things up. In fact, that's what my son specializes in. 
machines that pick things up. And no one has yet designed a machine as efficient as this thing on the end of my wrist, this hand. This thumb can touch the tip of every one of my fingers. Uh, you can play a violin, you can play a guitar, you can, you can remove a hair out of your eye, you can form a fist and punch someone in the face, you can pick up a, a rock. or a, It's incredible, this tool. And the thumb is the key digit. Okay, uh, You'll read in the book of Judges that one king, a wicked king, when he conquered other kings, he used to humiliate them by chopping off their thumbs and their big toes. Because then they couldn't pick things up and they couldn't balance when they walked. Thumbs are very important. And this first talk of these five that I'm going to give to you is the crucial one. It's the most important. If you get this wrong, everything else won't make sense. So we need to grasp this. So, the Bible says we're totally lost. Where does it say that in the Bible? That's a good question to ask. I hope you ask your preachers that. Or anyone else who teaches you something. Where does it say that in the Bible? Good question to ask. Let's find out. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, before we're saved, we're blind. It says, before we're saved, we are deaf. Where? Let's turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Mark's Gospel and to chapter 4. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, second Gospel. Chapter 4 is page 997 in the Church Bible. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Jesus is preaching to the crowds, most of whom are not Christian, not converted, and he's preaching in parables. And then he speaks to his disciples. And they say, explain to us these parables. This is what Jesus says. Mark 4, verse 11. And he said to them, Jesus to the disciples, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm speaking spiritual truth, but the people out there who are not converted, they don't get it. They don't understand what I'm saying because they're spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. God has to do a miracle to open their eyes and open their ears. In fact, you'll notice if you listen to Jesus teaching on the parables, the end of each parable he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, some of you can hear this, some of you can't. All those with ears can, all those who are deaf can't. The ones with ears are the converted, being given ears by God. Naturally, we are deaf and we are blind. That's what Jesus says. Turn on with me to the next reference on the screen there, John's Gospel and chapter 3. John 3 and verse 3, a familiar text I trust to most of you. Jesus is in Jerusalem now in this passage. He's been teaching and doing miracles. And a Pharisee called Nicodemus, who's been very impressed by Jesus, has come to see him at night and says in verse 2 how impressed he is with Jesus. And Jesus stops him in his tracks and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, full of religion, a Pharisee, a leader in the Sanhedrin, 
Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need God to work, Nicodemus, in you, miraculously, to enable you to see, to understand the kingdom of God, the spiritual things that I'm teaching. The Bible also teaches that unconverted people are bound and held captive. Let's look at the next reference there on 2 Timothy chapter 2. So, 2 Timothy chapter 2 is on page 1181 or 1182 of the church Bible. Verse 24. The Apostle Paul is approaching the end of his life and he's writing to his apprentice, his understudy, Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 24, he says this. And the Lord's servant, that's you, Timothy, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul there, talking to Timothy, is saying, look, Timothy, you're going to be speaking to unconverted folk. You're going to have to be patient with them. You're going to have to teach them the truth. You need to remember that these people are trapped. They're in a snare. They're bound by Satan. They can't get out. And they're, they're imprisoned by Satan. They can't get out. And as you preach to them, Timothy, you need to pray that God would grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Your work is to pray that God would work through you to set the prisoners free, to, to unbind those who are bound. That's gospel work. That's what a gospel ministry is called to do. Timothy, that's going to be your job. To preach the gospel and to set the prisoners free. Another truth here is that unconverted people are unable to receive spiritual truth by themselves. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Let's look at that verse. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2 is on page 1132. 1132. So 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Paul is now writing to the church in Corinth. Again, another Gentile church from a very wicked and immoral background. And this is what he says, verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. So just like Jesus preaching in the parables, he's, Paul here is saying to the Corinthians that unconverted people can't understand spiritual truth. That they, they are incapable of grasping these things. They need God's help to grasp spiritual truth. The Bible says that all of us, as human beings, are naturally sinful from birth. Let's look at Psalm 51 and verse 5. 
David wrote this psalm after his sin with Bathsheba. And this is how he describes himself. Psalm 51 is on page 560. And verse 5, David says this about himself, which is true for all of us. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we're naturally sinful by nature, and sinful in practice as a consequence. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 reminds us of that. This is just before Noah's flood. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Page 5 of the Bible. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. So the Bible says, our final reading, going back to Ephesians 2 that we began with, that we are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. So Ephesians 2 again, if you want to come back to it, is page uh, 1159 and 1160. So verse 1 to 3 says, You were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where you were. If you're a Christian here today, I can say that to you. You were dead. (laughs) That's where you used to be when you were a Christian. Okay? That is the state of every non-Christian, spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins. That means spiritually dead, spiritually unable to have a relationship with God, understand what God's saying, receive the gospel. Okay, So a preacher preaching to non-Christians is like a doctor trying to treat a a dead corpse. Okay, It's going to take a miracle. To bring life into this dead corpse. That's what the Bible says. We are spiritually dead. Dead in trespass and sins. But the world says, no, 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 no. Julian, you're going over the top. I know I've got problems. I know I need help. But I I need a hospital. Okay? I need some medicine. I I need a sling for my arm. You know, I need a bandage. And then I'll be better. I'll be okay. I accept I need a bit of help. But you dead unable to help myself you go too far says the world the bible says no no my dear friend you are totally lost in and of yourself you cannot save yourself the world's religions telling you try harder are all deceiving you You will never climb that ladder to heaven in your own strength. You will never be able to reach up and lay hold on God by your own goodness. God must come down and rescue you. That's the gospel. That's the truth. So we don't need a trip to A&E because we're already in the morgue. That's what the Bible says. We are totally lost why because of sin the wages of sin is death the bible says let's turn to that reference there romans chapter 5 
and verse 12. Romans 5 is 1119, and verse 12 is just over the page, 1120. And this is what Paul says to the Christians in Rome. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that was Adam, when he disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, and death through sin, that's both physical death and spiritual death, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Why do people die physically? Because of sin. Why are people dead spiritually? Because of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the teaching of the Bible. And that's where we all are naturally until God intervenes. So we are by nature like Lazarus in the tomb. You remember the story of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus? Uh, Mary and Martha's brother, they sent messengers, didn't they? Come, the one you love is sick. And Jesus delayed. And Lazarus died. And he was in the tomb four days, rotting, smelling, when Jesus arrived and met Mary and Martha. That's where we are spiritually. Hopeless cases. So how lost are we? The Bible says we are totally lost. Totally unable to save ourselves. So if you ever hear a preacher say, try harder, it's not true. But does that mean then, if we're totally lost, that we are utterly wicked, evil, horrible people who can never do any good? No. No, it doesn't mean that. I'm sure you have non-Christian friends, and some of them are quite nice. Some of them are quite helpful, some of them are quite kind. Being totally lost doesn't mean we're all like the devil, What it means is that every part of us, every part of our lives has been polluted, contaminated by sin. So there you have the illustration, there's some ink. And on the right hand side there's clear water. That's what we were like when God made us, originally. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Pure, sinless. But then sin entered the world and polluted everything to varying degrees. Okay, so... We're not all like Adolf Hitler or Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Okay? We, we're not all like Jack the Ripper. But the Bible says every part of us has been contaminated, polluted by sin. If I gave you a cake, I made you a Christmas cake and said, here you are, I've made you a cake. But don't worry, I only put three drops of arsenic in it. It's not all poisonous. It's only some poison. The problem is it's all mixed in. But if you take a bite, you might get some nice fruit, but you might get the poison. Would you eat the cake? You wouldn't, would you? Because it's all contaminated. And that's what we're like. We're all contaminated by sin. We're all polluted by sin. That's what it means by being totally lost, totally unable to save ourselves. So in Isaiah 64, the prophet Isaiah says there that our very best Even the really good stuff we do, helping the old lady across the road, giving money to the poor, those are all good things, aren't they? The Bible says our best in God's eyes is like filthy rags because it's polluted by our pride. Didn't I do well? Did you see me take that lady over the road? I bet you don't do that, do you? Aren't I good? God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're proud. What have you got to boast about? 
That's where we are, according to the Bible. So what's the implication then of this truth for us? How does this apply to us? Well, firstly, it humbles us, doesn't it? The world says, no thanks, mate. I'm all right. And God says, no, you're not. You're not. You are totally lost. You cannot try harder to make yourself a bit better. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot become a bit more religious. And hopefully God will accept you. You are lost completely. That's humbling, isn't it? That's humbling. Do you remember the two men praying in the temple in Luke 18? The Pharisee, he was very religious, wasn't he? Very proud. Look at me. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give money to the poor. I'm not like this tax collector. And what did the tax collector do? He stayed at the back, didn't he? He bowed his head. He beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He was humble, wasn't he? Because he understood correctly the condition of his heart, the condition of his soul. And Jesus said, that man, the tax collector, went home justified. So that's the first application for us. When we understand this, it humbles us. And it makes us realize how great our need is. If I really am in this ocean of sin, in a world of sinners, and I can't save myself, I must cry out to someone greater than me, a rescuer, and cry to him, Lord, save me. That's what the tax collector did, isn't it, in the temple? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what he prayed. And God heard his cry. God saved him. So it drives us to prayer. The person who says, no thanks, mate, I'm all right, isn't going to pray. He's not going to ask for forgiveness. He's not going to ask for salvation. He thinks he's okay. He's wrong. We need to understand this truth. To pray to God, which we all need to do. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what we need to pray. And for those of us who have been saved, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, we need to give God the glory, don't we? To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. God has saved us by grace so that we might say, thank you, Lord. You rescued me. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life. An atonement for sin. An open the floodgates that I may go in. That's salvation, isn't it? That's the gospel. We give God the glory when we understand rightly the gospel. Well, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know many of you. But is God working in your heart by his spirit? Has he begun by enabling you to see that you are totally lost? If so, be encouraged. That's the first finger on the hand of God's salvation. And it's vital. You must begin there. If you think you're okay, or you don't need God, you've not understood a word I've said. 
But if you have grasped what I've just said, and you recognize that you are lost like that tax collector, then you need to pray as he did. Shall we all pray now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, Lord, that you don't beat about the bush, that you tell us plainly that without you, without your grace, we are totally lost. Father, we know this truth is humbling. We know that the natural man doesn't want to believe it. We know that many in the world refuse to accept this truth, but it is true. And we pray for any here this morning who don't yet know this, that you would open their eyes and that you would humble them and move them to pray, perhaps for the first time, as the tax collector did, and seek your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now,